welcome back. Richard, happy Father's Day. Happy Father's Day to you too. That's uh, one of the things we could have discussed today, right? One of many things that we could discuss today. Little factoid, 1909, this, this holiday, I was interested in where Father's Day come from. And I guess way back in 1909, a, a woman by the name of uh, Sonora Dodd mm-hmm. wanted to establish something comparable to Mother's Day. And, but it took a long time for uh, the holiday to get recognized. Um, in fact, it was World War II that gave it an impetus because it was a way to thank soldiers you know, who had fought in World War II. Um, but it was not until Richard Nixon, which to me is current events, but to you is, is probably like Greece and Rome, right? Ancient history. Uh, but it wasn't until 1972 that there was a proclamation made, made uh, Father's Day a national holiday. Um, first celebrated on June 18th, 1972. Wow. Speaking of national holidays, another thing we could talk about today is Juneteenth. That's right. I've declared a national holiday this week and celebrated as a national holiday for the first time yesterday. Yeah. Um, so we have a new federal holiday, at least a federal holiday. We'll see uh, how it's going to be celebrated. But it's time that's uh, that gets recognized. I, and I didn't, didn't know that... Um, the Emancipation Proclamation was written in 1863, but uh, which was supposedly to free the slaves, but the slaves in Texas, of all places, can you imagine, weren't freed until two years later, 1865. But actually, the North had to win the war for the, proclama- for the Emancipation Proclamation um, to have traction. If they had lost the war, the Confederacy would have kept slavery. Yeah. So it did take until the end of the war. But today's podcast is about, not about the, oh, also the Delta variant is in the news. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's all, it's, it's, it's wreaking havoc in, in India. Right. But it's so, showing up here and, um, and in England. And that's right. It's now 99% of new cases in the UK are the Delta variant. Um, and again, we're just sort of, as we did with COVID-19 or the, the, that strain, we're, we're learning as we go, and they're, they know it's more um, contagious. Mm-hmm. It's, more, it's more contagious, and the symptoms are more severe. Um, so the UK is struggling. With, it is in the United States. There are at least two states that have reported the first cases of the Delta variant. But today, we're, we're not going to talk about Father's Day. Yeah. The topic today um, might make you a better father. Uh, it certainly made me a more mindful, a more thoughtful father. And the title of today's podcast is uh, Take Her Phone. And then I uh, subtitled it A Father's Lament. And there's a story there because um, I was meeting with a family recently and uh, both both parents were were there doing a teletherapy session, which by the way, that was good news that you sent to us the other day. Yeah. That a high number, 84%? Yeah, 84, 85% of, of uh, patients um, in, in, a, in a Harris poll, mm-hmm. 84, 85% of patients say that they, want, they would prefer to keep teletherapy services even once, you know, any crisis or, you know, the COVID um, pandemic is, is right. kind of more under control. Um, so, yeah, teletherapy. Yeah, that was good news because it, it does work well for many people. Um, it doesn't work for everybody, but uh, for those, uh, uh, a lot of people have found it um, uh, much more to their liking. 
than uh, in, in person. Anyway, so I'm talking to these parents and the dad said, oh, by the way, what's your opinion? What's your opinion about taking my daughter's cell phone? He said, I'm getting all kinds of conflicting information from my family and friends and even other professionals. And I don't know what to make. What's your thought on it? Well, as it turns out, you and I spent a lot of time talking about this, this issue when we were writing our handbook right. uh, about what kind of uh, discipline do you want to use with your, with your child. And what, I, what, I, what you have to remember, if you're, if, you're, um, if you're apt or prone to yanking your child's cell phone right. uh, from her hands, the reality is that for the internet generation, and that those are kids who grew up, mm-hmm. there was no, the internet was around when you were young, but you weren't using it as a youngster, were you? No. When no. did you? We didn't, I didn't really start. Well, you know, I, I associate really using the internet um, uh, when I was in college because okay. uh, doing research. Um, okay. you know, because, so it wasn't until you were, so you didn't grow up on the internet. Right. No, I, we so. didn't, I didn't really use the internet until maybe 2000. Right. It was like 99, 2000 when I was in grad school that right. I really started getting into using the internet to look up research, but I was still going to the um, at those in those days, you know, you still had to go to the library and your library copy of journal articles and stuff like that. You could just download them, right? And so, but for this internet generation, kids who have grown up only knowing the internet, they, they don't remember life without the internet. You have to remember that my first piece of advice is for those for that generation, their cell phone, the cell phone is their life, right. and you need to appreciate that. Um, speaking of these smartphones, there were three important milestones. 1994 was the first smartphone. I didn't know that. IBM created the first smartphone. Mm-hmm. I forget the name of it, but it was back in 1994. Um, but it wasn't until 2001, as you say, it was late 90s, early 2000s, that the smartphone uh, was connected to the internet. Mm-hmm. And then in 2007, the biggest change was the iPhone, uh, when Steve Jobs came up with the iPhone. Um, and so this generation that grew up with these devices and with the internet treat all this stuff very differently than we do. In fact, um, I have two daughters and there's about a three and a half year difference. And my older daughter who was born in the mid nineties uses her cell phone very much the way I do. My younger daughter who was born at the end of the nineties uses her cell phone very, very differently, even than her sister uses hers. And you can tell the difference when they're in the same room, you can see the difference just in four years. Um, And there was an article in Rubicon magazine that says the most defining feature of the worldview of the I generation is their total immersion in digital culture. Right. And that's important um, because while they view it as they're totally immersed in digital culture, all the rest of us um, are digital immigrants. We came to it much later. We have a very, very different view of it. And that's an interesting article if you wanna read it. But it created this clash of cultures. And that's the first thing that parents are dealing with. You're dealing with a generational class of cultures. Absolutely, and and it's, you can see the the fluency uh the the fluency of of comfort and, and 
even digital literacy between adults and, and the, the IGN. Um, and I say adults, you know, some of the, many of the IGN are adults, but um, older adults and, and the IGN. And you can see the difference in the way that they just, the, the comfort level um, it is so vastly different. Um, and we see it with even with, with teenagers now that they, um, you know, when, when all of this was going on um, and education went to virtual, um, you can see the way that they, they found ways to skirt and, and maneuver around rules and expectations through, from virtual um, classrooms to, to, you know, be in class, but not really be in class to, you know, find different ways to, to accomplish what they needed right. to accomplish. And it's, it's with, with such ease that they do that. Mm -hmm. That's right. And so if you think about the typical baby boomer, and we're talking at the, the end of the baby boom was the early sixties, um, born, born in the early sixties. So these people are now in their forties and fifties or older. Um, we don't, baby boomers don't trust the, the digital world. They especially don't trust social media. Um, we use, um, we have a limited use of social media and even, um, for example, um, we use the internet for practical purposes. Mm -hmm. You know, for me, it's, a, it's a, um, a way to do research or it's a way to look things up or listen to the news. Um, we have iPhones and we can, we know how to Google and we have Facebook and we have a couple of apps. You know how, Bernie, you used to tease me about my internet use. You know, the, it's pretty basic, right? I had to be introduced to apps. You know, remember you, you introduced me to apps. I said, Bernie, what, the, what's, what are these apps that I'm hearing so much about? And we have a few easy to use games. You know, we play Candy Crush and Solitaire and a few <laughs> like real basic games. And that's about it, right? But we, appre we appreciate the digital world, but we can take it or leave it. Um, I was, I was looking at a picture the other day of two girls with their cell phones taking a picture of a payphone, And for them, it must've looked like the pyramids or the Acropolis or something, right? Say, like, what, what in the world is this thing, right? And so, and the other thing I thought about, we can navigate the world without our cell phones. I know how to get from place to place. I know how to read a paper map. And I don't, I mean, if I was left without my cell phone, I'd still be okay. Not so with iGen. Right. You take their cell phone and they're lost. And so, um, so for us, for the internet generation, their smartphone is life. Um, they know nothing else. They would be lost. And I mean, lost literally, they wouldn't be able to find their way home if right. they didn't have their cell phone. Um, it connects them to the rest of the world. Okay. Right. It keeps them nearby. Um, it keeps their parents nearby if they need them. Mm -hmm. And think about it. Kids in college, you know, when, when, when we were in college, if you had a question, um, you had to wait until you made a phone call later in the day. Right. Okay. There was no, now kids walk out of class and they can call immediately. So they stay connected to their parents. Right. Um, it's the only way to stay tuned to what everybody else is doing. Yeah. Think of a teenager. What's the most important thing in their lives? Right. Their relationships with other people. Yeah. And this, this is the way they stay connected to each other. It's the way they stay connected to friends. Um, that's, that's what kids do. They go out and they want to affiliate with their friends and the cell phone, the smartphone is the way to do it. Yeah. Um, and the other thing you have to remember is because everything happens immediately in the digital world, 
you have to be connected at all times and you have to be connected to everybody in order to stay abreast of what's going on. If you don't respond immediately, if you're a teenager, you don't respond immediately, you're left out. You're either angry and you're trying to uh, um, end a relationship or um, you're not interested. And so you just get left out and there's nothing worse for a teenager than to be left out. Absolutely. And, you know, and we'll kind of get into this in some other ways, but, um, you know, one of the things that we wrote in our handbook was about, um, as it relates to their dependence on, on phones and, and that technology, that, that mm-hmm. connectedness in, in that way, um, it, it also influences other things that we don't necessarily think about, like problem solving skills. And it, we, we tend to demonize technology for some of these things, but I think what it does is it it has taught this generation different ways to manage things. So one of the one of the stories we told in the book was about um, you know going to the store to buy a loaf of bread. You know, when I remember when I was a kid and my mom would send me to the store to buy a loaf of bread. If if they didn't have the brand that we usually got, I had to make a decision. I could I could ride the half mile or so back home on my bike and ask mom what other kind to get and then go back, or I could just I would have to just use my best guess and get a, an alternate uh, brand of bread uh, to, to take home and hope that it would be okay um, and that it would work. N- now kids don't have to make that decision. They don't have to problem solve through that. They just make a quick call. Hey, they don't have this kind of bread. What do you want me to get? Um, and we think we tend to have that, that you know, well, so we're, we're depriving them of these problem solving skills. We're, we're taking these opportunities away from them and they don't have to make decisions anymore. But at the same time, they're making different kinds of decisions. They're not, they're not having to worry about those kinds of decisions, but they're having to make other kinds of decisions. Mm-hmm. And, and so it's, it's the same, but different. Right. Right. Yeah. And, you know, parents will say, you know, one of the first things parents say is, well, th- she's addicted to her phone or he's addicted to his phone. Uh, you're absolutely right. Okay. It, it, it is exactly like um, being addicted. Okay. Because, um, and they are, their, their relationship to the cell phone is very much like an addiction, like an addiction. To be sure, they're totally dependent on it. Um, there's no question about it. Right. And, and like with that example of, of getting the bread, if because they haven't had to have those experiences, should you take that away? Now they don't have that particular skill. They haven't utilized their problem solving skills to solve that particular type of problem. And yes, they would eventually learn how to do that. But in that moment for those, you know, initial opportunities like that, mm-hmm. they're go- it's going to create distress. Right. Um, you know, right. And sure, there's arguments that, you know, well, we should put them in those situations where they have to work through that. But it's going to create distress, which is going to create some conflict. And you just have to be ready for that. Um, right. And the teenager needs to be ready for that. Um, mm-hmm. You're right. They, they are dependent up, upon it. It's not um, it's not a moral issue like what we, we've talked about with, you know, substance abuse. Um, it's not it's right. not a moral um, issue. It's just this is their world. That's right. And so when, yes, it, it is an addiction, but it, there's no moral valence attached to it. Right. Okay. Um, as there is with addiction to substances, to alcohol and drugs, there's no moral turpitude here. For example, you might say that I'm addicted to my refrigerator. 
Right. Or I'm addicted to my stove or I'm addicted to my air conditioner or my car. Right. Yeah. I'm dependent on those things, but it's not a moral. And, and that's the way these kids view a cell phone to them. Right. It is just another mechanical device that they rely on. Right. And we have to remember, you know, how we're using the word addiction. Right. Because, uh, you know, when we think about substance abuse addiction, we're talking about something that impairs functioning, um, that is creating all of these problems. And, and in fact, if we want to, in, in some ways, if we want to think about it, um, it, with substance abuse, the, the use of the substance is what creates the impairment, right? With cell phones, many times the absence of the cell phone is what creates the impairment. That's true. Um, That's true. Yeah. And, and so it, it's a very different type of, of relationship than what we typically think of as, as addiction. But, but you're right. When we, when we put it, sort of boil it down to a dependence, um, yeah, there, there is a dependence there. That's right. And there's no, there's no real impairment as there is with a substance abuse. Right. Their, their cognitive functions aren't reduced. Yes, they're using, we understand they're wasting time and doing a lot of other things, but there's no health risk. Right. There's no impairment. There's no real impairment. They're not damaging relationships. Changing relationships, yes. Not necessarily damaging relationships. Okay. So now we have this. So the first thing we confront as parents uh, when you ask the question, should I take her cell phone, is you have this generational difference. And it struck me that parents know that the cell phone is their child's most important item. I mean, it is the thing. And when parents want to get their kids' attention or they want to change something about their child, that they reach for cell phones. They say, well, I know how to do this. I'll take her cell phone. She'll do whatever I want. Right. Okay. Now, interestingly, <clears throat> um, it, it's it's different. It's it's different in some ways, and it's the same in some ways. When I was growing up, and I'm sure when even when you were growing up, and just for the audience, we're about a generation apart, you and I. Okay, um, even though you like to think it's more than two generations, um, we're a generation apart. Okay? We would get grounded, right? If we did something wrong, our parents would ground us, uh, because our moms knew that the most important thing to us was being able to go out and be with our friends. Right. They, they understood that. And we wanted to be where they were. So taking that away, my mother got my attention. If she says, you're grounded for this weekend, she had my attention. And I would be sure not to do that again. But when she took that away, she was only taking one event. Right. I could still use the house phone, the, the black phone on the desk. I still saw my friends in school. I still played sports. I, everything else about my life remain the same. Yeah. One aspect of my life changed, just one aspect for a very limited period of time. And when it was, when it was over, I just slipped back into my spot. I, I went back and, and life was normal. Uh, I may have missed a date or a dance or a weekend, but everything else stayed the same. And that type of punishment seemed reasonable to me. I, I did something wrong and my mother took an item for some period of time. That seemed like a, that seemed reasonable to me. Right. But when you take your kid's cell phone, you are taking everything. Right. You have all their social contacts, all their entertainment, their alarm clock, their music, their calendar, their photo albums, their TV. Absolutely. You are taking everything that's about, you're taking everything. Without their phone, they are cut off. 
and they're on this island um, where they have nothing. And the other problem that you create is that when you take their phone, you are taking, you're not just removing everything from their lives, um, they watch their world slip away because now they can't keep up with this immediate world that everybody else with cell phones are living in and they watch their place being taken by others. And if you talk to teenagers, they're, they're acutely aware of that. You take their phone and they're, they're out, they're MIA. Right, and, and if you think about how fast their world changes, right. I mean, it, it, it moves very fast and it's, it's almost a, a, a meme on, in, in movies and you know, t- shows and, and different things. But, but it is true that their, their world moves very fast and changes very quickly. Right. And, and so a day or two without their phone, there yeah. is so much that changes between the, within that time frame that when, when they do try to reenter, they're not, even, they're not sure how or where to reenter. They don't know who's alive with whom now because all the alliances have changed. Right. Okay? That would be like me getting grounded for a month. Right. You know, you would lose, you would lose all, you'd lose everything. You'd lose all perspective. You'd have to go for two days, two or three days without a cell phone will will have the same effect on these kids. So you have to remember this generational difference and how much this, how much more taking a cell phone means to them than being grounded meant to me. I I could do that and say, yeah, yeah, I I deserved it. I, I was stupid. So I deserved it. When you take their cell phone, it's so beyond whatever mistake they made that it doesn't seem reasonable to them, okay? And that's the problem you get into. You, by taking their cell phone, that's not fair. That's not reasonable. Right, and, and I think the other piece is, you know, they, it's estimated that teenagers touch their phone, what, a couple thousand times a day, right? Um, and who knows how accurate that is. However, you know, so we, we have all of these social connections and the entertainment and all of that kind of stuff. But think about what people who are trying to quit smoking say. You know, one of the things they say is, I, I, I feel like I need to do something with my hands. They, they will hold pencils or they'll, you know, keep straws or something in their, in their hands because they need something to have that, that similar stimulus, right? Um, well, if you, if you have something that you hold in your hand you know, for a good majority of the day that you're interacting and you're touching right. and all of a sudden that's gone. Mm-hmm. You, you also had that physical behavioral component that is, that is missing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that would be really difficult for them as well. You know, Bernie, one of the most striking things I ever saw, I was with a young person, a, a cell phone user, um, as the person, as he was talking to me, now he's in conversation, we're in the same room. His thumbs were moving. Mm-hmm. And he was mentally, his thumbs as though he was texting while he was talking. Yeah. And you're right. Their hands are, 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 they're using their hands all day long. Right. Okay. Right. And so there, there is this number that, that uh, somebody came up with this number that we, 2,617 touches per day. That's probably more. I mean, that may be, you know, every time you touch it, but it's probably an exaggeration. However, um, we do spend, the average person spends 10 hours and 30, almost 11 hours a day. Remember, you're sleeping for eight. 
So you spend about 11 hours a day on your phone. We unlock our phones 150 times a day. Yeah. Um, and 73% of us, including adults, experience anxiety over losing our phone. So yes, when you take your child's phone, you're going to create anxiety. Mm-hmm. And anxiety can lead to a lot of bad places. Yeah. We send 94 texts a day. Does that sound right to you? 94 texts. And you do Twitter too. You do Twitter and text and email. Yeah, I don't do Twitter as much anymore, but um, but yeah, I mean, if you think about the different um, the different platforms between Instagram and um, Snapchat and you know Facebook for for others and you know some of these different things, yeah, absolutely. There there are a lot of messages sent every day. And you know the other thing that I found interesting: twenty five percent of adults wake up at night to use their phones. It's about 48% in teenagers, in, in uh, phone users, about 48%. Um, and 60% of college students freely admit they're addicted to their phones. They, they cannot live without them, okay? Um, what my pet peeve, number nine, 85% check their phones while talking to others. And, and this is a, a little blind spot that I have. When I'm talking to my kids um, and they start looking at their phones, um, I, I kind of short circuit because um, <laughs> I'm thinking, pay attention to me, don't do that, okay? 87% of millennials say their smartphone never leaves their side. So th- these numbers, not just for kids, for kids it's more, but these numbers tell us that these devices have become extremely important, okay? And it is unreasonable when you take their phone. It's not, it's not fair to them. Uh, they don't see it as being fair. It doesn't matter what we view. I viewed my mother's punishments as reasonable. You cannot equate what my mother did with me taking my daughter's phone. It's, right. it's, 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 they're not the same. And as you said, when you yank that phone out of their hands, you're asking them to go cold turkey. Right. Okay? Right. right. And that sends a shock through your system. Right. Yeah. Okay? And that's why they activate. First of all, they're, they're terrified. Now what's going to happen? Because I've lost everything in my life is gone. Now. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, you know, and I, I know that parents argue that, well, you know, after, after a little bit of time, she gets used to it or she's fine. Well, well sure. Um, but you have the double shock. You have the shock of it being taken away. And then you have the shock of when they get it back. Right. Um, because then you have this sort of that sort of elastic rubber band effect where, you know, then they spring all the way back and now they're constantly on the phone trying to catch up with everything. Right. Right. So, yeah. <laughs> right. Then they have to go overdose because now they have to catch up with the, with all the stuff that's happened while they've been um, in the desert. And so, um, so the message, the message you're really sending when you take your, your child's phone, the message you're sending is I will hurt you if you disobey me and I will hurt you if you make me angry. I know how to hurt you and I will do that. And this is how I'm going to do it. Um, and the reason we know that is because we take their phones for various offenses. Right. Okay. And, and so that's the go-to. We're going to take your phone. We're going to take your phone. Okay. So because our belief system is, and, and parents have this, especially non-iGen parents, if the cell phone is the most important thing in your life, then if I take it, I'll get the results that I want. I'll, I'll get the changes that I want, okay? Um, my question is, does it work? You know, is that working? Um, are you effective? Because 
if you were, you'd only take it once. Right. And I think that that is, that's a message I know that we have sent many times on the podcast and in different things is if, if the consequence that you are looking for or, or the um, outcome that you're looking for is um, that you, that they'll learn their lesson. They won't do that again. Right. As soon as you find yourself in a situation where you're having to apply the same consequence for the same infraction multiple times, clearly that intervention isn't working. And, and if it was, if it were anything else, mm-hmm. it was not, you know, I was thinking about this the other day, you know, how many times do people, <clears throat> including many of these same parents, you know, they're struggling with something, let's say, and they talk to their doctor and they get put on an antidepressant mm-hmm. and they try to antidepressant for like a week. And then they stop taking the antidepressant and say, oh, it wasn't working. So I stopped mm-hmm. taking it. Right. Well, I, I, need, I need to try something different. Well, it's the same thing that you're trying to do with your kids. If you're trying an intervention and it's not working, then stop using that intervention and try something different. Right. But, but we have a hard time with that because we want that immediate, like you, you, you refer to it as a shock. We want that immediate shock, that immediate impact to, to sort of send a, send a, send a message mm-hmm. that I mean business. That's right. I'm going to take and- the most important thing in your life. I'm going to take that away until you comply. And parents think that their kids are thinking, oh, I better never do that again because he's going to take my phone. Believe me, that's not what's going through their head. There's a lot of other things going on in their heads than we think are going on. So what we want to emphasize in the first part of this podcast is there is this vast difference between taking a kid's cell phone and uh, grounding a child or putting a child on restriction. It's a very, very different act. That, that you're doing and, um, and you have to be very, very careful because of the enormity of what this cell phone represents to them. I mean, you are taking away TV. If I was grounded, I could still watch TV. Right. If they don't have their cell phones, that's their TV. That's their movie. That's their entertainment. It's their music. So, so first of all, there's this vast difference um, in generations. Second, the next thing the parents say to us is, well, I gotta have consequences. I have consequences. I got to do something. Okay. But you have a choice. When you talk about consequences, you can use consequences to punish your child, or you can use consequences to teach your child something. And I'm not talking about teach your child a lesson. I'm talking about teaching them a skill that they're obviously lacking. Okay. Yeah. And, and, you know, so when we think about consequences and consequences that teach and, and we keep referring to the handbook today our, our book but you know if we think about the word discipline mm-hmm. we're, we're talking about learning we're talking about um, to teach and we um, so we need to be teaching information we need to be teaching our kids what we want them to do um, and yes we still have to have consequences um, but the consequences have to have to be relevant and meaningful to the infraction. Right. Um, and to correlate in some, right. Yeah. In some way, not to inflict pain and, and not, right. to, not to say, okay, I have to, I have to do something that's going to hurt them because that way, um, that way they'll know it's serious and you know, right. whatever. You, know, you teach them that it's serious by teaching them what they did and the problem with what they did. Right. Not, not right. by hurting them. 
Right, exactly. So, so you have two, there are two meanings to consequences, right. uh, two approaches. One is um, that you can hurt your child, you can punish, we use the word punish, or you can teach your child something, you know, assuming that it's something the child doesn't really understand, so you teach it. Right. Likewise, when we talk about, and the parents say, well, I have to punish my child, you know, they have this moral obligation, I have to punish my child. Again, there are two meanings to punishment, right. okay? Punishment means to, in, in the common way that punishment is used, it's to inflict pain, right. okay? I'm gonna hurt you in some way, paddle you, hit you, take something away that's of value, incarcerate you, put you in solitary confinement. I am going to inflict pain on the person. Mm -hmm. The other definition of punishment is simply to reduce a behavior. Right. Okay, so, and so when you think about punishment, we don't, we shouldn't punish people. I mean, my goodness, these are your children after all. They're not convicts, okay? These are children that you care about. So you don't punish a person, you punish a behavior. Right. Think about the behavior, not the person, okay? It's not the person you wanna hurt, it's the behavior that you want to change. Right, so, so um, when you're thinking about <laughs> applying a consequence, instead of saying, how can I punish my kid for what they did, Right. You should say, how can I reduce that behavior? How can I punish that behavior? That's right. Increase the likelihood that that behavior is going to continue to happen. <clears throat> That's right. We should always be thinking, how do I want to increase the behaviors that I like? And how do I want to decrease the behaviors that I don't like? It's right. not about punishing and rewarding your child. Your child is not a trained dolphin or a chimpanzee or a dog who needs little treats every time he does what you want. That's not how you treat children. So we want to focus on behavior, not on the person. Right? Um, and that brings up the, the, the handbook again. When we were writing the handbook, we got to the point about spanking and all that stuff. Um, and so we looked up this concept of spare the rod, spoil the child. Right. Okay. And typically we think of the rod as a paddle or a switch or a stick or something. And if you're not punishing your child, the person, in some physical way, then you are not, um, you're not meeting your parental obligations. Right. Okay? But when we looked up the word rod, and I remember that we were, it was a Sunday morning. Yeah. We said, well, let's, let's look up this word rod, right? Yeah. And what we discovered in looking up the word rod, if you go back to the ancient, the Greek word, um, it actually translates into staff, right. uh, not, not a club. It's a staff, a shepherd's staff, okay? And what does a shepherd use a staff for? Mm -hmm. He uses it to protect the sheep, mm -hmm. but also to guide the sheep. You know, they want them to go in a certain direction. So it's, you, they don't beat their sheep. Right. The sheep are valuable, right? You don't want to, you know, you're not going to beat up your sheep. And so it is with children. You don't use a rod to hurt your children or to beat your children up. You think of a staff that you're using to guide your children and to protect your children. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's what, that's how we're translating spare the rod, spoil the child. Okay. Mm -hmm. So again, to review, we have this generational difference of how significant it is when you take your child's cell phone to the I generation. The second thing is there are two definitions for punishment and there are two definitions for consequences. And by changing how you think of these things, you change how you treat your child. In the third part of this, we talk about suggestions to get you back on track. Right. Yeah. And, and you know, 
certainly um, one of the first things that we think about with, with getting things back in alignment is the whole idea of, of prevention. You know, we're, we're, not, we're not very good here uh, in, in our, our Western world. We're not very good at prevention. We, right. we tend to uh, put all of our money and resources and everything into reaction responses. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, when, when there's a pandemic, then we'll come up with, you know, uh, um, interventions um, <laughs> like teletherapy and like those kinds of things. But we can prevent a lot of problems by intervening before the behavior happens. By before there's a problem, we, we have these innovations. And, and in fact, many of our best innovations came um, and, and, and are present because they were, they were invented or created before they were really needed. And then once they were needed, it's like, oh my gosh, we already have this. This is fantastic. Okay. Right. So, um, you know, when it comes to your kids, intervening before the behavior occurs is going to be one of the best ways of preventing the behavior from happening in the first place. That's right. What we typically do is we wait for a behavior to occur and then we react to it. And if you, if you think of a normal curve, we, we sit around and wait for something bad to happen. And then when something bad happens, then we come up with all these consequences and punishments, okay? When we talk about parenting being a time-consuming endeavor, we're talking about the other side of that, the, the, all the things that you do before the behavior occurs to, yeah. to prevent that from happening, okay? Um, and so that's where our effort should be, is not coming up. How many times have you been asked, well, how do I punish my child more effectively? Yeah. How many times have you been asked that? Yeah. Hundreds of times. You know, I need to come up with better punishments. No, you need to spend time preventing the behavior from occurring in the first place. And, and how many, this is, this is, um, this always blows my mind. And, and I say, I say it that way every time I mention it on the podcast um, is how many times, not only do parents tend to wait until the behavior happens to then respond, but how many times have we, do we have it where parents do things intentionally to elicit the behavior. <laughs> That's right. Like, right. They, they'll come in and they'll talk about how my kid, my kid keeps lying to me. Well, mm-hmm. what are they lying? Well, I asked him if he has homework and he says every day, I asked if he has homework and he says, no, he doesn't. But then I look in his backpack and there's all this. homework. <laughs> well, if you know, he's going to lie because he doesn't want to do it because of whatever. Um, don't <laughs> ask, <laughs> just say, Hey, go get your backpack and let's see what you have for homework. Right then you, you, you remove that whole opportunity for him to, to lie because usually parents will ask that question when they're in the middle of their video games, right? <laughs> right well, of right. course he's going to say no, he doesn't when he's playing video games in right. part because he doesn't want to play, stop playing video games, but also in part because he's probably not even really thinking about what is in his backpack. Couldn't care less, right? Mm-hmm. Right. right. So, so don't ask questions <clears throat> they're going to, to be untruthful about. Um, right. It's just just um, prevent that from happening and, and, you know, manage things in a, in a more positive direction. Right. Yeah. We advise parents all the time, just set an hour aside for homework every night, whether kids have it or not, set the time aside and your children will get used to the idea that for an hour a night, you're going to be, it's going to be spent doing this, this activity, this homework activity. And so you prevent the whole thing about lying and about getting bad grades and, spend your time preventing and teaching. Don't, don't, don't wait for the behavior to occur. The other thing about waiting for the behavior to occur is if your child lies to you every night about homework, what do they do? They're practicing lying. If you let them 
right. if you wait, you're, you're letting them practice their lying skills. Right. Okay? So yeah. stop that whole process because you don't want them to practice lying. So right. don't set it up that they'll, that they'll lie to you. Okay. Right. And, and it's, you know, this is going to come out in some of the other suggestions that we have, but you know, if you, when you, when you punish the kid in the same way for different infractions, mm -hmm. it, you know, it doesn't make sense for a multitude of reasons, but, you know, using your example there, if your kid is lying to you every night about homework, mm -hmm. taking their phone has really nothing to do with that. that that's a relational issue. That's a, that's an issue with your relationship with your kid. So you're taking away their phone, but that's not teaching them not to lie. That's teaching them to be to do to be a better liar. So to be a better liar. That's right. That's right. You're gonna get better at this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like okay. So what did I do that time that got me caught? So that next time I don't do it that way. Because <laughs> because look. Okay. The secret reality is, kids are going to lie. Yeah. The kids are going to lie to get what they want to get out of trouble. They're, they're going to. Um. And, and it's not to say that that's okay, but it's that we have to do a better job of um, identifying those situations, preventing those situations, and, and teaching them, back to teaching, teaching them mm -hmm. how important it is to be honest and, and that things are, that the world is much better when we're honest. Right, right. And, and that everything will be okay, yeah. even if you're honest, right? Um, you're not gonna, it's gonna be all right. It's, it's gonna be okay if you're honest. Yeah. Um, so, so first of all, spend, invest time in preventing problems and teaching your children how to manage their lives so that they don't get into these mistakes, okay? Second, taking a cell phone is a parent shortcut. That's lazy parenting. Right. What you're doing is you're using the same intervention for every behavior. And as you said, different behaviors need different interventions, okay? Right. And if you're, if you're relying on, oh, I'll take her phone, you're just being a lazy parent. You're not giving it the thoughtfulness that your child really deserves. Okay, right. you're not doing your you're you're not doing all the work that you should be doing as a parent. Right. My mother didn't ground me for every offense. Right. I was it was based on the what, what I did wrong. Okay, right. and we should be doing the same thing. So don't don't go grabbing that. There's a lot of reasons why it's not a good idea to grab a phone. Right. Many parents argue that they need an immediate response. Right. Uh, I got to do something right now. No, you don't. Right. No, you, you, you have to be mindful. You have to be thoughtful. In fact, you probably shouldn't have an immediate response. Right. Give it some time. Think about it. Let everybody cool off and then decide how, how you want to approach this problem. Right. Yeah. Immediate responses are needed for like dangerous and destructive things. Yeah. Right. You know, there's a, is, if there's an immediate danger or if the kid or somebody is destroying something and, and there's a risk for, for those mm -hmm. things, an immediate response is needed for that. But right. if your kid's not doing homework, there's not an immediate response that's needed. Right. I mean, you, right. you can take time and assess the situation, see what's going on. Um, do the, the, the work of figuring out why it is that this is happening right. so that you can address the true problem. Right. That's right. Um, you know, because that's another... That's another problem that, that the need for an immediate response and you can hear parents, it's the, way, it's the way you think about it. You can hear parents saying, well, you disobeyed me. So now I have to punish you for that. 
No, you don't have to punish her for that. What you have to do is to figure out why is she doing, why is this happening? Right. And what should I do about it? What are my, what are the many, you have many, you have many choices, you have many alternatives, but which one is going to be most effective? Right. Think about, um, it, you know, one of the directions uh, um, in, I'm moving in as far as the way that I'm trying to communicate some of this with, with people sometimes is the, the, the child is doing something to meet a need. Um, right. You know, why are they on their phone instead of doing their homework? Okay, what, what is the need there that's being met? They need some social connectedness, right. th th this fear of missing out. Um, maybe homework is too difficult and they, maybe they don't understand what they're doing. Maybe the homework is too easy and it's just bo so boring that they right. just can't stay focused on it. And so they're distracted by their phone. Um, you know, why is your kid lying to you? Well, maybe it's because um, when they know that if you do know that what's really happening, that they're going to have their phone taken away and all this other stuff, then right. there's not going to be anything reasonable that happens. It's going to be this, this snap punishment. Mm -hmm. um, so what need is the behavior serving and figure out how to resolve that need um, instead of punishing the kid and making, the, you know, making it hurt or making it, you know, have some impact like that. Right. Yeah. And, and that, which leads us a good segue into the next one. You have to stop punishing people. Right. And start punishing or punishing or rewarding behavior. Okay. You, you, you have to, you have to divorce punishment and people. Okay? Right. You have to stop punishing the person and start thinking about how do I reduce the behavior? Because that's what punishment in technical psychological terms the word punish means to reduce a behavior, right? That's all it means. And so you focus on the behavior and stop punishing people, okay? Right. And then as you say, and you've said this many, many times, unless the phone is the problem, leave it alone. Right, yeah, it, the, the, and we've talked about this, this scenario in, in two, um, at two different times in the podcast, but you know, so you, if you have a situation where you know, your, your kid is lying to you, about homework, whether or not she has homework, um, parents will take the phone away. Um, but then, you know, then say you're at near the end of the quarter or something, and now your kid is behind. So they're, they're in their room you know, feverishly working on homework and, and trying to do it. And then you walk in and she's on her phone then, while she's supposed to be doing her homework, we'll take her phone then. <laughs> well, in that second scenario, taking away her phone is appropriate. Right. Because the phone is what's immediately interfering with her doing her homework. Right. Um, but, but you can, but that's what parents do. It's like, oh, you're being disrespectful. Give me your phone. You yeah. lied to me. Give me your phone. You're right. not doing your homework. Give me your phone. You're, you're, you're on your phone too much. Give me your phone. I mean, it's all, give me your phone. Give me your phone. Give me your phone. Um, it's, if your child is not sleeping because they're on their phone at night, they take their phone to bed right. and they're getting text messages and they're waking up. Then the phone is the problem because right. now the phone is interfering with sleep. Right. It's reasonable now to take the phone. They right. don't like it. They may not like that. They don't, well, I use it as my alarm clock. I listen to music. There are a hundred ways to get alarm clocks in rooms. There's a hundred ways to listen to music. You don't have to have your phone at night. If your child is not sleeping enough because she's taking her cell phone to bed, then the cell phone's the problem, reasonable to take it. Right. But you can't yank the cell phone for every offense right. because that, that's just lazy parenting. 
right. You're, you're not doing due diligence. That's an appropriate time to take your phone, their phone. But if they, if, if when they come home from school and you say, Hey, do you have homework? And they say no, but they really do have homework. That's that has nothing to do with their phone. Mm-hmm. That's even right. If even if they're on their phone at the time when they lie to you, it doesn't mean that the phone is the problem. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so, in, you know, again, you got to do that work of figuring out what the problem really is. It doesn't need an immediate punishment. Right. Uh, figure out what the problem is and then solve that problem. And, and right. you, may need a, you need, may need help from a professional. You may need to, right. to work with a counselor or therapist or something to, to figure what that problem is. Right. That's the work. Right. Yeah. What, what I would advise parents is think about the word consequences. Think about the word punishment. You know, what, what do we really mean? by those terms, um, please know that a cell phone is a child's entire life, mm-hmm. okay? And it is an addiction. Be, be very, very careful about just mindlessly yanking the cell phone in order to get your children to do what they want. Uh, it's, a much, it's a much more significant act when you take their cell phone than most parents realize. Um, and if you, if, you do, if you try these things and you're still struggling a little bit, Give us a call, uh, talk to somebody about it because it's probably, you probably just need some fine tuning somewhere to get where you want to be. All right. Well, I think that's it for today then. Um, Richard, I hope you have a very happy Father's Day. Well, we're going to work on it. Um, Getting some, yes, we're going to work on it. You? Yeah. You're going to work on it. We'll work on it. So Uh, we hope that all of you listening have have a very happy Father's Day and a great, Uh, rest of your week and we'll be back next week with with a new topic all right so until have a good day uh happy juneteenth yes you too yeah glad they did that yes all right until next time stay happy stay healthy and forget to be afraid